Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes James Coates, pastor of Grace Life Church of Edmonton, and author of the new book, God Versus Government, Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide. And Pastor James Coates, welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Hey, Rob, thanks so much for having me. I'd like to start here to give us a bit of comparison and contrast about your pre-pandemic life and your day-to-day pastoral duties. Tell us a little bit about your church and what things were like pre-pandemic. Well, things were pretty normal. I would say we were a church of about 350 We were just continuing to do the work of the ministry. My commitment as a preacher of the word is to uh, do Bible exposition. So I typically preach through books of the Bible and I'm in the gospel of John at present. Life and ministry were were certainly busy and and certainly uh, a challenge as ministry can be, but also a joy and a blessing. And, And I was, for the most part, virtually unknown by the 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 broader world. But that all changed, obviously, with COVID-19. I'm just curious if you ever really gave a lot of thought to religious freedom. I know it's easy for us as we go to church to just think about being in church and we've never been hassled or harassed, most of us. So how about you? Before all of this happened, how much thought did you put to the topic of religious freedom? You know, the best way to illustrate that was, you know, I'm a, I like to golf and I don't get to golf a lot, but mm-hmm. I do anticipate getting out to swing the sticks in the summer. And so oftentimes leading up to even the time of COVID-19, I would anticipate the summertime and the prospect of being able to get out and play some golf, but would always hold that loosely because I, on some level, just sensed in my inner man that the the freedom to be able to do that might not always be there. And so I think there's always been, even in my preaching ministry, an anticipation that persecution in our part of the world was on the horizon. When it would arrive was was anyone's guess. But but the fact that the the culture around us was changing and hostility to Christ and the church were both increasing, I, I knew that that persecution was was soon to come. You know, many Americans don't really have a sense of the the role of faith and religion in Canada. And I think many of us just assume, because we don't know any different, that it's very similar to the United States. How would you say that it is uh, just the general sense of faith and religion in Canada? Well, I would say that the the church in Canada is is as weak, generally speaking, and that would be true of the, the, the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. But I would say that there's a, a stronger presence of sound, healthy, biblical churches in the U.S. than there are in Canada. But there is a a great deal of similarity uh, between the two countries. I I think the U.S. has had more of an evangelistic uh, foundation than we did, whereas I think our foundation was more Roman Catholic, and that certainly shapes the religious climate of of our country. 
But there's certainly a, a resurgence taking place, even leading up to COVID-19, but even as a result of COVID-19, where healthy churches are beginning to pop up and pastors who are faithful preachers of the word are getting some visibility and we're, we're all beginning to network with one another. And you can see that though things maybe look somewhat bleak prior to COVID-19, there's more of a healthy church presence in our country than maybe any of us realized. You know, that's a very good news, and I'm glad to hear it because it took something so disastrous to bring this out. James, tell us about the day that the government mandate came down and, and how you responded to it. Well, it was interesting because I was actually sick. I had just gotten back from the Shepherds Conference, and uh, and I ended up falling ill the week thereafter. was basically at home uh, watching all of the restrictions begin to come down and, and sporting events being canceled and tournaments being canceled and everything else. And I, I actually got tested for COVID-19 at the time, and I was really sick. It wasn't COVID-19, apparently, although I don't put a lot of stock in the PCR test. And so, you know, initially it was some skepticism, some reluctance to really embrace that this was all even necessary. But obviously there was a degree of ignorance. We didn't appreciate the severity of COVID-19 and the the projections were calling for an apocalyptic like um, outcome with this virus. And so when the, the restrictions came down on churches and we had to begin to modify the size of our gatherings, we were reluctantly complying and did so with a degree of skepticism. And we did so uh, with the tension right up front, we knew right up front, Romans 13 and the call to be submissive to governing authorities and, and the call to gather as the local church, Hebrews 10, 25. We, we saw these at the outset being already in tension and we needed, we needed time to be able to determine whether this was truly an expression of government overreach. And if we could determine that and we ultimately did, then we knew it would be time to obey God, not men. You know, it's interesting because there was a lot of propaganda coming out of China. I don't know if you ever saw the videos, but there were people writhing on the streets of China that that were purported to have COVID. And so there there seemed to be um, just an effort to completely uh, freak out the status quo and make everybody afraid. Did you have the sense that it was possibly overblown, maybe not immediately, but within a short period of time? Well, I think in general, I have a healthy suspicion with respect to government. Yeah. And- that can go, that can be expressed a number of ways. For example, we are a family that has historically homeschooled. So we're showing a distrust in the public school system. In my own personal sort of study and, and almost entertainment, as it were, I've come to realize the, the way our economic system functions, modern monetary policy, all of that is ultimately harmful for the, the longevity of, of our countries. And so you begin to realize that what the government gets involved in typically doesn't go very well. We have a, you know, a government-run healthcare system that's incredibly inefficient and ineffective. So my personal distrust in the competency of government, as well as even recognizing that man being fallen and governments largely being made up of fallen individuals and not individuals who have been uh, born again and are being remade in the image of Christ, that that we have corrupt governments, and so. Without a doubt, for me, I don't trust the mainstream media. I think that's so apparent both in your country and ours that they are working in accord with a, partic- uh, a particular political agenda. And so that distrust, skepticism has been there uh, for quite some time. We're a homeschool family as well, and for the same reasons that you are, and have very little trust in the government, particularly in the government schools and education system. 
And yet a lot of the churches were unprepared for this. Our own church at Calvary Chapel here in Central Virginia in Charlottesville uh, handled it rather well. We didn't shut down. Uh, we didn't require masks in the church, but there were certainly people who were afraid to come. And I'm curious about the response of your own congregation when all of this happened. Yeah, I think it would have been a mixed bag. I think there were certainly people in our congregation and they would be smaller in number who were more trusting of the government with respect to this whole issue. And and those folks, I think for the most part, ended up leaving Grace Life on account of the way that we handled it. But that would be a smaller group. There would have been a group of people who would have been just unsure and wanting to see things play out a little bit and weren't uh, necessarily as immediately distrusting of the governing authorities, but though had that gear in them and would be willing to see that threshold be breached and and respond accordingly. And then we would have had folks who right from day one were seeing this for what it was, that it was, uh, I mean, they would be using language like it's a pandemic and stuff like that. And so they would have been of the mind that we should just remain open from the get-go. So we did comply for the first couple of months of the pandemic during what was declared the first public health emergency here in our province. And then we opened up and they were ready to open up some of these folks prior to the point that we did. Did you feel, James, that there was any advocate for uh, freedom of religion and for your position within either your local, regional or uh, provincial government? No, we were on our own and we were on our own in almost every way. I mean, we didn't even have a lot of support from other congregations in the province. I mean, we really entered into this on our own and there's been not much maybe mild like our our MLA who would be our representative in in our provincial legislation he's been uh, reasonably uh, supportive of us i mean initially not as much but over time he kind of came around and so there's been some mild support there but for the most part i would say the we haven't gotten any help from court system, uh, our politicians. I mean, it's only as a result of the convoy that we've seen the federal conservative party begin to to speak in a manner that we would have wished they had much sooner in the game. But um, there hasn't been much support at all. So I'm very interested in this conservative party and, and what people had anticipated from them. I mean, did you understand that they were going to be squishy from the outset or was everyone disappointed? In, and tell us how they've come around. Well, the Conservative Party in Canada is a left of center conservative party. So they're the most conservative major party in our, our parliament, but they're still left of center. So we didn't expect much. And that's why you're seeing in Canada, there are a number of parties that are trying to get going that are, are truly conservative parties, like the People's Party of Canada, for example, run by Maxime Bernier. You know, he's had a difficult time winning a seat himself and getting his party going. But there's definitely an appetite for that kind of a party here in our country. Uh, at this point in time, the conservatives would certainly be better than Trudeau and his government. There's no question. But they aren't a truly conservative party. And I don't even know how you guys would see the Republicans. I mean, they seem like they're, you know, at least getting closer to the center all the time, if not left the center. And they're conservative views. Yeah, it certainly happened. And we've watched this shift. And so I think a number, a growing number of people identify as I do as constitutional conservatives, which has a different meaning than Republican. We have some very good Republicans, but by and large, the party does not really represent the the constitutional principles that many of us wish they would. So I think we're, we're talking about the same sort of thing. You had to come to a decision to keep your church open. And I'm wondering 
how and why you came to that decision? Well, we certainly let the data roll in and just looked at the way the governing authorities were handling everything and were assessing the situation on that level. But we were also working with the theological framework we already had. Plus, we were having to sharpen certain aspects of our theology as it relates to uh, our relationship to government and, and defining when it's time to obey God, not men. But really, um, with that kind of happening sort of organically while we were complying, I preached two sermons, one called Putting Government in Its Place on Romans 13. It's the first of three that I've preached on Romans 13 in this season, and then followed that with the paragraph in Hebrews 10 that has Hebrews 10, 25, and the, the exhortation to not forsake the gathering of the saints. I preached those two sermons, and I would say after preaching Romans 13, our people in large part were ready to open. And then Hebrews 10, 20, 10, 25 would have, you know, sealed the deal on that. So even as a leadership, when it came time to make the decision about opening our doors and, and by opening our doors, all we were going to do is let our people decide if they want to come, they can come. If they want to come in mass, that's their business. If they want to be there and, and socially distance, we'll pro provide a way for them to do that. So we weren't dictating anything. We, we just were going to stop limiting the gathering. We were going to stop telling people they couldn't come and limiting the number of people that could. So I think when we came together as a leadership with the time that had passed and all of us basically doing our own assessing of everything and research, not to mention the, the, the two sermons that I had preached leading up to the end of that, that first public health emergency, we were ready to open. And I don't recall the discussion with our leadership being long and drawn out. It was, it just kind of fell into place. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. We're talking with Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church of Edmonton. And we continue in a moment. Online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at Borderhawknews on Twitter. Get your fix. Shilling Show Unleashed. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast returns. Our guest is Pastor James Coates, Grace Life Church of Edmonton. The book is God versus Government, Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide. There was a, a pastor uh, who was from Canada who made a lot of international news. And when the police, the jackboots came into his church, he called them Nazis and chased them out. And I think they were after him several times. And I'm wondering if, if you had any similar type of experience or if that was uh, particularly on the harsh end of what was going on in Canada. Well, no. So by the time uh, the second declared public health emergency took place at the end of November 2020, uh, it was 
by December 13th that we had AHS, which is our health governing authority, and the RCMP entering our facility. And they were there as our services were beginning. In fact, when they first came, I was wrestling with exactly how to handle that. And I, I determined that the best thing that we could do is give the the RCMP, which is our police services, a standing ovation, recognizing that they're law enforcement and showing them honor. And we wanted to do that because we recognize that law enforcement has kind of fallen on hard times, in particular in your country, uh, leading up to that time, especially in the summer following uh, the Floyd death. Mm -hmm. And so we gave them a standing ovation to honor them. And so our, our approach to interaction with the governing authorities has been vastly different than Arthur Pralowski's approach to uh, interacting with them. We've sought to be respectful, gracious, um, yet courageous and committed to Christ and his authority. And we've tried to uh, make that interaction interaction that that we think reflects uh, Christ likeness. Uh, and so we had the governing authorities in our building. I was um, I was arrested in our building by the governing authorities. Um, really at my own request, because on February 7th, uh, they they wanted me to turn myself in effectively for an arrest. And I was like, well, let's just do this right now, because they said I could do it, you know, more or less when I wanted. So I had them come back to the facility that day and they arrested me in my office, served me with an undertaking that was going to demand that I comply with the Public Health Act. And that meant complying with all their health orders. I indicated at that time I couldn't do that. And they wrote, refused to sign. And all of the interaction was very cordial, amicable. Uh, they expressed in in um, no uncertain terms that they weren't thrilled about being where they were and doing what they were doing. Uh, so I was arrested at that time and immediately released and then and then brought. They came back the following Sunday because, again, we held services. And that's when I ultimately turned myself in, was uh, taken into custody, placed in a cell. And ultimately, all of that resulted in me. Uh, being taken to the Edmonton Remand Center, a maximum security prison for 35 days, basically because, well, not basically, it's actually because I refused to sign my release condition. I was given a bail condition of release and I refused to sign it because to sign it would mean we would have to comply with the Public Health Act and I refused to do that. And the reason I refused to do that, to be fundamentally clear, is that this is about the headship of Christ over his church. If Caesar can dictate to the church the terms of worship, then Jesus isn't head of his church. Now Caesar is. So as a leadership, if we submit to the governing authorities and allow them to dictate to us who can worship and and how many can worship and and whether we can sing or not and, and whether we wear a mask or not and whether we can be within six feet of each other, all of a sudden we're letting the government function as the head of the church. And we just could not do that. I mean, that was the that was the issue. And so to sign the bail condition that I was given would have been handing the keys of the church over to Caesar. We had already determined we couldn't do that. And even when we complied initially, it wasn't us giving them the keys. It was us out of prudence complying with their health orders as we assessed the situation and determined how severe uh, this this virus was. So so our approach to interacting with the governing authorities has been vastly different than Arthur Pulowski's. So this is very concerning to me because we've seen not only uh, with with Arthur's interaction, but I've seen some videos out of Australia and other places where the police are 
literally just beating on people. And and you wonder how it got to that point. You mentioned that you've treated them very respectfully and that they returned that. And they were even regretting that they were having to do that. But at what point do we anticipate or do we expect those authorities to disobey their orders? Is there something higher that they're called to do, even though they're not in the uh, in the faith mode? Uh, they are working for the public. Do they have a higher order to answer to? Absolutely. And on February 14th, which was the second arrest or, or precluded the second arrest, I preached the second sermon on Romans 13 called Directing Government to Its Duty. And that sermon actually has been modified and, and is in the book as a chapter in the book. And in that uh, in that sermon, um, I addressed law enforcement and that they actually need to say no to those above them. That I mean, this is called the doctrine of lesser magistrates, where we require those in lower positions of authority to refuse the orders of those above them. The whole idea that someone can say, well, I'm just obeying orders and that then absolves them of any responsibility is folly. Everyone is going to be responsible for their actions. And when they stand before Christ and are judged, they're not going to be able to say, well, I was just following orders. They're going to be held accountable for their actions. So we've we've certainly reached that threshold quite some time ago, um, even with the way that things took place during the trucker convoy in Ottawa, assuming that those law enforcement officials were actually Canadian law enforcement officials and not, you know, a group of U.N. law enforcement mm-hmm. officials brought in for the purpose of uh, what took place. Those individuals should have refused the orders. They should have. Uh, refused to function in accord with the way their superiors were ordering them to. And that's what we need. And and there are examples of that. I mean, even as you think about the other portion of the book that deals with the story of Grace Community Church and John MacArthur and the way the LAPD responded to the orders given to them, they were like, no way. We're not going to arrest John MacArthur. I mean, John MacArthur has stood for law enforcement and has allowed their church to be used by the LAPD for training and everything else. They honor law enforcement. There's no way they're going to arrest John MacArthur. Uh, That's what we need really all law enforcement to do is to say no to the ones above them. But the problem is, is that within law enforcement, you've got corrupt individuals as well who enjoy the use of power and want to throw their authoritative weight around. And so, unfortunately, not every law enforcement individual is in that role for noble reasons. James, let's go, because you've mentioned several times Romans 13, which begins, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And many people stop there and believe they have to do anything and everything that the governing authorities tell them. So how do you get beyond that first sentence? Well, you've got to recognize, first and foremost, that all authority originates with God. And so that means that every earthly authority has a delegated authority. And because that authority is delegated to them by God, it comes with purpose and purpose sets limits. And so the governing authorities have a particular role and function within society that's given to them by God, a role which they will be held accountable to. In fact, even in uh, Romans 13, I believe it's verse three and four as well, they are referred to as a servant of God, a deacon of God. And so I think you have to understand at the outset that when Paul says what he's saying there, he's not talking about totalitarianism. And you can actually see that play out in Paul's life in the book of Acts. There are moments when he holds the governing authorities accountable to the rule of law, where they are violating Roman law, and he's pointing that out to them. 
And so Romans 13 is not setting forth a totalitarian view of government. It's calling individual believers as citizens in their uh, in their cities and countries to submit to the governing authorities and and to do so with respect to the matters with which the governing authorities are are responsible to execute. Like, for example, the, the praise of those who do good, which is good as God defines it, and the punishment of evil, evil as God defines it. You know, you, you have to start there. And I think every Christian would recognize Acts 529, there comes a point when the Christian can't obey the government because the government is commanding the Christian to sin. I mean, if the government commands a Christian to sin, you don't submit to that order. Just the same way as a wife doesn't submit to the order of a husband to sin or a child isn't to submit to the authority of their parents. If their parents order them to sin, we all recognize that. And so if the government is commanding what God forbids or is forbidding what God commands, that is a clear threshold that is is breached when we know we must obey God, not men. And even beyond that, when the governing authorities get outside of their actual sphere, their God-given purpose, which really biblically is to protect God-given inalienable rights, even then, we have an, an, an opportunity, potentially, and in some cases, an obligation to refuse their orders because they are outside of their lane. And to not refuse their orders is unloving in many respects to them because you're not testifying to them that their deeds are evil. And they need to know that because they're going to give an account for the service they render to God. Help us to understand uh, the legal battle here. Of course, we have the First Amendment in the United States, which is a constitutional guarantee. Do you have anything similar? And, and what was the path, the legal path that you went down? We have the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And it's not as solid of a document as um, what you guys have in the U.S. with your Constitution. But it does provide uh, protections for churches protections that other entities like businesses and corporations don't have. The problem with our charter, though, is that in section one of the charter is this sort of like qualification clause. And it's this idea that so long as it's justifiable, any of the any of the rights and freedoms set forth you know, and the rest of the document can be infringed upon. So the governing authorities would then have to justify that their infringement on the, the rights and freedoms in our charter are legitimate and justifiable. Uh, so the, the whole thing with our situation is that the, the, the case the government wants to make and the way the courts have ruled at this point in time is that everything that they did was an infringement on our rights and freedoms, but it was justifiable in light of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's just incredibly problematic. I mean, that just means at the end of the day, you know, the, the document is essentially useless because all the government has to do is create a good enough excuse, not even prove that their measures are even scientifically defensible, but just just have an excuse that they can appeal to to justify infringing on our charter rights and freedoms. And all of a sudden, what were God given rights, a document that recognized recognizes the supremacy of God turns into basically a, a document of privileges the government grants to us when it's convenient. James, where do you think we go? What does the future hold as far as religious freedom in Canada? And do you see any silver lining around the clouds? Well, I think whenever you whenever you apply pressure to the church, and maybe I'll even use the word persecution, 
the gospel goes forth. The church, the true church of Jesus Christ shines brightly. And so there's an opportunity for uh, the church to be the church and to thrive and be strengthened. And that needs to happen as we anticipate you know, future battles that are on the horizon. That's something that's really positive. As far as where we go from here, I think the question at this point in time, given the fact that I'm not a prophet, I mean, I have a an eschatology that's anticipating uh, a time of tribulation, the arrival of the Antichrist. So I have a, a pessimistic view of the future in that sense, even though it's ultimately optimistic because Christ returns and establishes his kingdom and reigns upon the earth. But but not knowing when all of those events are going to take place and just looking at things as far as how they are now, it's conceivable that that we could come out of this. And I think the question on my mind at this point in time is twofold. One, can the Western world and your country and ours survive the economic catastrophe that seems to be on the horizon with respect to the deficits and the debts of our country? This system is not sustainable at some point in time something's got to give. So what what happens then? And then on the flip side, has the left wing gone too far? Have they gone so far into their insanity that the backlash, that their true colors are so on display that the backlash of that is that there ends up being a resurgence of conservative world, uh, conservative worldview? You know, even then, that probably doesn't result in like, a revival, because even if people come back to a more conservative worldview, if God is not at the center of that, if Christ isn't at the center of that, if it's not a gospel work happening in the hearts of people, it's going to die in the end. But but I think that's the question is, has the left gone so far that they've, they've, they're actually walking their own plank? And, and, you know, we'll see, for example, in November, if there's a free and fair election in November and your your um, your midterms and the Republicans, you know, clean house, that's potentially somewhat telling about the trajectory of what the, the next little bit can be, how the next few years are going to go. It certainly is. Uh, James, if people want to get a copy of your book, God versus Government, or if they want to visit your church online, how can they do that? Our, our church website is Grace Life Church. We also have a a YouTube page where you can access uh, our sermon videos. And as far as our book is concerned, it is uh, available anywhere you can buy a book. So uh, anywhere you want to go, Barnes and Noble, Amazon.ca, it's or dot com, it's available. And, And let me just say this. The reason we think this book is critical is this. It puts forth a theological defense for why we took the stand that we did. And we think that's critical because we think the church has failed largely in responding to uh, the pandemic and the government overreach that took place in that context. And so we want to equip the church to, to be able to discern when the threshold is breached and it's time to obey God, not men. So there's that component of it. But also we tell the stories both of Grace Community Church and John MacArthur, as well as Grace Life Church. And those stories provide wonderful illustrations of the theology that establishes why we took the stand that we did. And in my story, I basically give the clearest, comprehensive uh, most comprehensive picture of all that I went through and our church went through from start to finish, where you can be with us as we go through every hurdle, every interval along the way. And even in the, some of those most difficult moments as I was anticipating the prospect of imprisonment. And so we, we really think this has a, 
has the potential to be really beneficial as we kind of see COVID-19 as the dress rehearsal for all that's to come. We're grateful for you taking a biblical stand, even at a great price that you paid. James Coates, thanks for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Rob, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.